Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms, and experts who share insight and practical information to help you move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. So you, the introverted, mission-driven entrepreneur, consistently reach your biggest goals. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others and be sure to visit winnieanderson.com slash rabbit hole, all one word, to get the show notes and worksheet for this episode. If you're an entrepreneur, freelancer, solo professional who's also a former employee, the chances are very good that you've experienced some form of trauma on the job. Whether you've worked for abusive bosses or you've worked with difficult or even bullying peers, the chances are very good you've experienced some type of emotional trauma at work and there's also a good chance that trauma scarred you in some way. In this episode, Tracy Maxfield recounts her experience with severe bullying and how she's using her experience to help children around the world. Tracy is a nurse with over 37 years experience. She's certified in gerontology and dementia care and is a regular guest on well-known author and radio host Peter Rosenberger's show, Hope for the Caregiver. That's on WLAC and iHeartRadio in Nashville, Tennessee. Tracy experienced her first bout of clinical depression in her 20s and lived with chronic depression ever since. However, nothing prepared her for the acute depressive episode she experienced in 2015. After enduring years of intense workplace stress and bullying, she plummeted into an abyss of darkness, helplessness, and despair, the likes of which she had never experienced before. Encouraged by a psychologist, Tracy started a blog, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, My Life with Depression, to better help her friends understand her depression. Over time, she began to heal and found that out of the darkness and despair, there is hope. There is life after depression. Since the release of the book that grew out of her blog, Tracy has become a staunch advocate for mental illness and mental health awareness and bullying. She's met with children, teenagers, and young adults to talk about bullying and mental illness and was one of the breakout presenters at the TEACH 2019 conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Her website, tracymaxfield.com, was recently awarded the Silver Medal for Best Author website in 2019 at the ELIT Awards, and her book is a top 10 finalist in the nonfiction category at the Author Academy Awards. Tracy has appeared in over 60 podcasts in the U.S., Canada, New Zealand, and U.K., and live radio shows, as well as on ABC, NBC, and Fox News. Her philosophy is to engage children and teenagers, to educate them about mental illness and bullying, and to empower them to develop confidence and skills to continue to move ahead in their own life journey. Born in Wales, U.K., Tracy moved to Canada in 1987. Escaping the Rabbit Hole, My Journey Through Depression is her first book and has received international rave reviews. Remember, my guests and I aren't giving you specific business or personal advice. 
The information we're sharing is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you need help, be sure to seek out a trained professional, whether it's a financial advisor, tax professional, business building support, or physical or mental health care provider. If you feel triggered by anything in this episode, please get help right away. And if you're concerned you may harm yourself, call 911 or the emergency number in the country where you live. Listen in as Tracy shares what the rabbit hole is and how she got there, the reaction of her friends, family, and even healthcare providers as she struggled to recover, what finally helped her to begin to climb out of the hole, and how she's making her mess her mission, and how she's focusing on helping teens and children. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Tracy, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for making time out of your schedule. Thank you so much for the invitation. Really appreciate it. Well, you know, your message is so powerful. It's certainly one that I can relate to. I wanted to have you on the show just for me and for nothing else. (laughs) We're going to dive in here. And I want to start with really the ugly part of your journey and it's with the probably the most powerful part of it for me and that was how you got into that rabbit hole in the first place and it was through workplace bullying yes can you and and i mean we could go on for weeks just about workplace bullying so yes yes let's you worked in healthcare right and i think all my life mm-hmm. i think that has a special reputation yes it for does unfortunately a bullying kind of environment yeah unfortunately can you talk a little bit about the kind of of experience that you have i think some of us know that it's kind of legendary that doctors have this god complex but can you talk a little bit about what you experienced at work certainly i I mean, certainly, yes, doctors have God complex, but actually nurses (laughs) can be the worst. Um, Nurse to nurse, the bullying is actually epidemic. Um, There's a saying, right, nurses eat their young. And um, what I find so strange, and I think what was difficult for me to reconcile with, is we're all in this um, to provide care and support and to give our all to help people. And it's a caring profession. This is what we're renowned for. And yet when we start bullying one another, um, to me, you've lost your your true values of why you really wanted to be a nurse because you should not allow um, your jealousies, your feelings of insecurity to you know, take it out on another person and to make them feel so pathetic and worthless just to make you feel better. And it, it's a shame, but it is rampant. I actually give a talk about it um, in England. Okay. Yeah. So it was more a peer-to-peer kind of bullying that it you was, experienced than the typical doctor, you know, being gruff and demanding. It, it was a superior. So it was a nurse who was in a management position, so yeah. was above me on that tier system. Um, but yes, it, um, it, the organization I worked for um, was quite uh, renowned for having bullying. 
um, all levels throughout the organization and responding very poorly. And, you know, whilst I was always very outspoken about this should not happen, then when it happened to me, I was even more outspoken, um, which actually proved to be my downfall. Um, but yes, um, I had never experienced um, workplace bullying before, and I've been a nurse now for 36 years. And it began in, in uh, 2011 when I started a new position, and it culminated on August 20th, 2015, at a meeting where the bullying took on a whole new genre, and I ended up falling down the rabbit hole. And um, yes, so began um, a very, very dark and difficult journey, um, part of my life that I have never, ever experienced before. Yeah, you know, there's so much there that is so rich for us to talk about. You know, unfortunately, I experienced some level of bullying almost from my first job. I mean, it just, but it was just, this is what happens at work. And yes, I know. combination of peers, then there's the superior, who of course has your economic life in their hands. Absolutely. So, and, and I think people of a certain age, women of a certain age, you know, we were taught to be very respectful of the, the person who's above us. So we, yes. we tolerate, I think, quite a bit. And then there's the whole enculturation of women in general, how yes tend to be, it's not, it's not you, it's me kind of people. Yes. Let's talk about what, what tr got triggered in you that led to your rolling down this rabbit hole, and I think that's a great analogy uh, around depression, is this, this rolling down, uh, getting sucked into this hole. Yeah. What, what do you think got triggered in you that sent you down this spiral of depression? Well, so I do have a, a, a history of depression. Um, I was okay. diagnosed in my late 20s. Um, and I've had two previous episodes, although certainly the episode that happened in the rabbit hole was very, very different. Um, as nurses, um, we tend to give 110%. <laughs> angels. Believe me, um, angels. And, I mean, burnout is very common. I think um, at the beginning, whilst I was very conscious of what was happening, I was, at that time, I was married. I had a default person to go home and kind of, you know, <laughs> complain to. Right. And um, there was that financial stability of two incomes. And I just thought, okay, somebody's going to notice. And right. of course, even if they did, they weren't doing anything. Throughout it all, so it was four and a half years that this lasted, um, I went to eight different levels of management. And nobody did a thing. In fact, um, I went to her superior to talk confidentially, and she invited her to the meeting. So much for confidentiality. And right. so I couldn't say anything. Um, finally, one person that I went to who was in a much higher position basically said, can I talk off the record, Trace? 
And I said, sure. And he goes, I can tell you right now, if you're going to go to war against this person because of it, start looking for another job. You're not going to win. And so I already was aware. In, in the midst of all this happening, um, I was in, uh, my, my ex and I weren't able to have children, so we had dogs. Uh, one of our dogs unexpectedly died. And so that was kind of almost like losing a child to me. Yeah. Um, then we separated. Then six months later, I moved out and began life again as a single woman. Then we divorced. And so I'm going through all this. So I did not, I think, have that um, sounding board to start with because I would come home to an empty house. Um, and so I'm going through all that. Also, the work I was doing was extremely stressful. It was not unusual to work almost 12-hour days, even though I was getting paid for eight. Right. And with the bullying, it would start via social media at like 6 o'clock in the morning. My, work start, my, my job actually started at 7.45. It ended at 4. But it, the messages would continue until 10.30 at night. And it would be seven days a week. I would go in on weekends. And I think part of it was my fault in that because I was now divorced, I kind of threw myself into my work. I absolutely loved my job. I loved what I was doing. I was really good at it. And I know that um, bullies tend to pick on those that are actually doing a really good job because they feel intimidated and they see it. Uh, there's jealousy and insecurity. Right. And it just you know, it just escalated month after month after month until I think what happened was in December of 2014, um, there was a very serious um, problem where she was trying to move a person who was a known sexual predator to a nursing home where there was 353 vulnerable ladies with dementia. And um, she had attempted to do it in secret because I, was, I used to um, communicate with the person who was delegating the bags. And when it was told to me, um, very hush-hush, do you know this person is being moved to this nursing home? I was absolutely outraged. Um, and I went and spoke to her and I said, I will not let it happen. You cannot knowingly send a sexual predator who, has, who is awaiting court date I was charged by the police uh, for sexual assault, and I said, you can't do that. You were sending him into an environment where he could assault women constantly, and she was extremely angry, and at that point, I said, you know what, um, I'm going to be the first one to go to put my hand up and go to the lawyer and media when, it's, uh, when it comes out, what he's done. Yeah. And I said, and, you know, she's like, you can't do that. And I said, just, just watch me. I said, you were knowingly sending a rapist into a nursing home to rape. It's right. I mean, period. The, the police had even told me that. Um, and so I was, I was successful in stopping the transfer. But I think that marked my, my death sentence. <laughs> yeah. Because from that point on, it was just... It, it, she came out all guns blazing. It just didn't stop. Yeah. I ended up having uh, two bouts of pneumonia early 2015. Never, ever been ill before. In fact, had accumulated like seven, eight years of sick time. 
and and I realized I was getting burnt out. Yeah, and to say the least. Right, and yeah. I think it was that was she realized it was you know it was getting to me, and I think that's when she started to go for the Achilles heel. Um, she had a meeting. She uh, called me into the office and said, um, "Don't come into work on Monday. I'm moving you to a different." Uh, department outside of the hospital. You go in on project work, wouldn't give me any explanation, wouldn't allow me to say goodbye to my team because I oversaw, I oversaw um, 23 nurses. And on Monday morning, I arrived at this um, building um, to be shown to an office with no windows, four walls and a door, nobody around. And when I went onto my email, I'd been cut off email. And so the the social the exclusion began the isolation. Yeah. yeah. And and even though I challenged it and I won, um, she was determined that she was going to take me down. Yeah. And the takedown occurred on August twentieth. Um, it was a one and a half hour meeting because she had been told I was to return to my position immediately. She had no grounds for moving me. And so began um, a barrage of, it was lies and false allegations and accusations. And even though we were able to respond to each one, um, it was just personal. It was so personal and the insults. And it was, it was like she literally had reached in and ripped out my heart and soul. Yeah. And, you know, even after the meeting, um, the two re union representatives who were present said that was a witch hunt. They had never in all their years of working had ever heard and seen anything like that. And yeah, that was it. It's so, so horrifying. And I wish I could say, I've never heard that happening before. Oh, all, the, know, time. all the time. All the time. All the time. All you have to do is change the industry. And the yes. job titles, to be honest with yes. you, just so I horrible. You, I 100% agree, yes. You start to question your own sanity, really. And, and as you, you know, you're trying to do your job to the best of your ability, and, and everything that you were raised to believe is shown to be false, that good work gets rewarded, People recognize that you're a hard worker, a nice person. Mean people get punished, right? It's, yeah. it's like a total topsy-turvy kind of experience. And uh, boy, there's so much there I can relate to. I, I worked in human resources, and this was going on. And I remember I started to experience, like just like you, your health, your body, right? There's that book, Your Body Keeps Score. Your body yes. starts to break down as it's, as it's trying to manage your, your physical state, all of your organs. It just goes, I can't take it anymore. Absolutely. I was in grad school. I started to get migraines, had never had them before. So, I, you know, I go to a headache doctor and I'm sitting in the exam room and the, the assistant shuts the door and you know how there are posters out all, everywhere yeah. right so there was a poster on the door that 
was the signs of, of clinical depression. I had them all. I bet. Yes. And I had never thought, I mean, I, now that I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I realized I was certainly depressed at a year at an early age. I come from an abusive environment. I was, a, yeah. I was depressed as a toddler. I was suicidal by the time I was eight. So, I mean, I've had this ongoing history, but right. to just be sitting there and going, Oh my God, I've got every, that's part of this. I'm depressed. It was just this giant wake up call and you try You've, you've articulated what happened so well. You really try to fight the battle, right? Yes. Yeah. First, you're the, big, you're the bigger person, and you ignore it, right? And then you can't ignore it, and you try to choose this battle that you're going to fight, and that person is going to win. Oh, oh, that person is going to win. All the time, because if you have the top level of management who have um, no response to what's going on but secondly with bullies what they routinely do and especially female bullies is they systematically pull people onto their side and so all of a sudden it's you against right. them and I think that was also another challenge that I had to deal with was the the level of betrayal that I experienced by my team and I know why, because ultimately they did not want to become the next victim. Right. And they, they, you know, and for their own reasons, they wanted to have favor with this person. But it's a shame because what happens is, and it's the same with kids, you become a bystander and a bystander is no different than the bully. You have to be the upstander who says this is not acceptable and I'm not yeah. going to allow it to happen. Yeah. And this is what people need to start doing is, you know, when they see it going on, it's like, no. Um, but yes, it's, it is so widespread. Mm -hmm. I am constantly amazed at how many people connect with me and say, I'm going through this. And it's not even just women, men can, are bullied horrendously in the workplace as well, okay. not only by fellow men, but also by women. And for them, it's a whole different ball game because, you know, if you're bullied by a woman, you're talking, right? It's Stop it. So, okay, so <laughs> yeah, please, yeah, this is just, again, we could go on for days about this. Yeah. The, I think a big part of the problem is that we believe that I've got this job and I've, I'm not going to get another one, right? I'm invested maybe in a pension system or That's I'm invested it. in the benefits or, or I'm at a certain salary level and if I left, I'd have to start all over again or I'd have to take some kind of big cut, right? So there's all this, this loss. It's, it seems every single level, every single job yeah. does not matter you, I mean, the police force, renowned for bullying, right. fire, you know, it's like, yeah. are yeah. you kidding yeah. me? And, and so from a culture standpoint, because I worked in uh, staffing, training, and organizational development, and so from a culture standpoint, we, we, I know how hard my company worked to create 
a positive work environment, but there were these there were still these pockets of bullying that happened in every department at every. every level and in human resources you know you're almost ashamed to admit that this is going on in your environment because you're you're the culture people well and you're the go-to person if there is bullying exactly <laughs> and i'm like i got news for you sister i'm being you know i'm being bullied yeah it was really really awful so then so so you have this horrifying moment and did you just did you quit or did she push you out so i ended up going on sick leave okay. medical leave yeah, yeah which then translated into um short-term disability and the general consensus with my doctor and my psychologist was yeah. you are never ever returning to that environment ever again yeah, um, I, I mean, the irony is, I was victim number eight, and everyone before me had all left, either on medical leave or had gone to different organizations, found different um, employment, and it was only on her twelfth victim was did they finally deal with her. Yeah, you wonder. Like, aren't you paying attention? It, you know, to me, uh, I used to get the turnover report. We, we used to look at these numbers. And even though we had an overall turnover percentage that was really low, you have these pockets and these stories, these people who become legendary in a bad way. When are you going to wake up that it's this person? Yeah, yeah, really disturbing. So... Well Yes, go ahead. No, and what I was going to say is, but they knew. They knew all along. Yeah, they know. all knew. And it's like, to me, how, how can, in all good conscience, how can you actually continue to work? Yeah. Knowing what, you know, what this person is doing, it's, yeah. it's shameful. It's absolutely it, shameful. It is. It is. It really is a disgrace. And I think, Yeah. We could just go on for decades about this, and because it it sh it shouldn't be this way, it doesn't have to be this way, and we're all trying to make a positive impact, no matter what job you're you're Absolutely. doing. You're trying to make a positive impact in the organization, and can't we just you know be nice? Get and along, right? Absolutely. No. So, okay, you're depressed. You're out of work. How long were you in that hole? Um, I would, gosh, I was in the hole actually for a couple of years. It it was one, yes. it was one year. Um, so I fell down August 2015. I think it was around November 2016 where I finally started to see a chink of light. At the end of the tunnel okay. um, and that's when I therapy changed and that's when um, I really had to focus my mindset um, I'm I'm the type of person that I'm very analytical and so I think through and you know you're trying to make sense why is this happening to me why you know right, right. why 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 is this going on longer than my previous depression why is this worse than the other 
depressive yeah. episodes. And I would go in every, you know, every week. It was weekly therapy for about a year. Then we went two weeks. Then it went monthly. And uh, I would say, I can't keep doing this because it's the pain, right? It's the emotional, the physical pain, the, the, you yeah. know, the suicide plans and everything. And I said, if this is my life, I can't keep doing this. And, you know, can you just give me a day? Can you just tell me in two months, Tracy, you will be better? And he said, Tracy, I can't do that because your brain is, is smashed into like millions of pieces. And it's, you, you're trying to glue all these pieces back together. And he said, it could take a very long time. And I found, I found that very frustrating because I needed kind of, you know, you break an yeah. arm, six weeks, yay, right, use right. it again. Yeah. And finally, he said, you've got to rethink this. You've got to start looking at this differently. And I, I always journaled. You know, when, when bad stuff happens, when I'm stressed, I always journal. It allows my inner okay. voice to try and problem solve. So I've been journaling. And he said, you know, I think maybe let's look at it a different way. Let's start expressing gratitude instead. When you're journaling about your day, and you know, like I used to rate my depression like zero to ten. Okay. Uh, ten would be the most amazing day. Um, zero, well, I wouldn't be documenting it because I'd be dead. But <laughs> um, you know, one was like so close suicide, etc. Um, and he said, so when you when you're doing writing your day, why don't you find something to express gratitude for? And you're so dark in this hole that you're like. What am, what am I grateful for? Right. And he said that you're breathing, that you got a bed, that you got hot water. Yep. And, right, and it started like that. Yes. Um, and I would say after about a, um, a few weeks, you know, of writing down, I have, a, I, you know, um, I have a roof over my head. I have um, hot and cold water, etc. I thought, well, this is this is silly. I can't keep putting this down every single, you know, every single time I'm expressing gratitude, gratitude, and what is going to shift me? And I went out one day, and there was a, a purple crocus peeping through the remnants of the snow. And I remember looking at it and thinking, oh my goodness, a spring. And B, what vibrant color. What a beautiful color. Great. And I, I started thinking, okay, rebirth, new birth. And all of a sudden, a little boy said, that's gratitude. Right. And I wrote it down in the journal. And then I thought, okay, this is gratitude. It's, it's being in the moment and appreciating what I have today and not thinking, what's going to happen tomorrow, a year, a week, a month. Great, yeah. And, and that was kind of the defining moment of, because I've yeah. been so focused on, am I going to get better next week? Will I be better tomorrow? Right. And it, right? And it was looking at the world through, different, through a different lens. Yeah. And that was, I think that was the pivotal moment because that's when I, I truly started to appreciate that life is is the simple things, right? It's not the materialistic and the ownership and possessions. It is, yeah. you know, a child laughing and you sit there and you smile at the wonderful innocence. And it yeah. was, that was a good thing that happened to me today. That's 
that's my gratitude. And that that was the, the moment. Yeah. That dropped my you know, I started so to my earpiece fell out. So so that's kind of to me, that's kind of like the definition of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. You are even present enough to see that crocus and fully experience the vibrancy of the color to plug in that spring is on the way, even though there's snow on the ground, that we're that we're evolving. Yes. Uh, that's really, uh, that's excellent. Tracy, do you think that your history, because you, you said that you're a child of abuse, you're an adult survivor of abuse yourself. Do you think that history may have made you a ripe target for somebody and to not fully, I don't know, be aware of self-protection maybe? Or do you, do you see any kind of correlation between that? I think um, definitely. I mean, from the work that I do now with, with um, the, the kids, um, we know that, right, adverse childhood experiences, right. ACEs, right. right, kind of define how your life is going to go and make you more susceptible to mental and physical right. uh, illnesses. Um, I think because of the abuse I went through, I became very much um, an advocate for myself. Then with the nursing, became an advocate for others. And so I, I would vehemently stick up for myself. I would defend myself. And I think against a bully, um, that doesn't work. Um, yeah. Because the more you defend yourself the more they get angry and are determined to pull things right. out of the dark closet yeah. to kind of throw at you yeah. and so yes in I mean in hindsight I think my childhood abuse and dealing with my family and I think that need to be really really good and to have people like me because um, there was no love expressed in childhood um, and then, as I said, it, it was all heart and soul related because I, it then became, I took it personally, which then means that you start that self-examination of yourself. Well, you're not worthy. People don't like you. No one likes you. You are hopeless. You, you know, when all those negative words start right. percolating in the brain based on what I had gone through. As, as a child, um, yeah. you know, why am I not good enough? Why can't they love me? Why are they saying these things? Yeah, um, yeah. It's like it validates that past experience. And, and I can see how you would slide down this hole. I mean, oh, I've had it happen. It's like the world is crushing you. Oh, it's, it's so oppressive and claustrophobic. And as I said, I mean, it felt like I was in this small, dark hole. It felt, and yeah. people say, you know, you describe it, it felt earthy. You know, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't comfortable. It felt yeah. cold and damp and unnatural. And yes, it's, yeah. and I mean, I think with the therapy, um, it gave me that opportunity to start seeing the connections um, yeah. and then and then um, building not a defense strategy but more uh, coping strategies um, 
to approach things differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when did you finally decide to write this book? So in the November 2016, with well, as I was um, experiencing the gratitude, um, I had also said to my psychologist, um, I cannot believe what people are saying to me because I would force myself to go out every day and I would actually go to Starbucks for hours on end um, working on a crossword to try and keep my brain busy and that was um, a challenge in itself but I would see people and I was I was always honest what's wrong with you well I I fell down a rabbit hole what do you mean I I have major clinical depression I had a, a, a massive breakdown and people would come back with the weirdest comments right oh well you don't go to church and pray hard enough or well you're out in public so you know you must have a mild version and things like that and even when I'm trying to explain to my colleagues who are in the health industry what I was going through, everyone would say, but look at you. You look great. Mm-hmm. You know, because the Brit in me, make sure your hair's tidy, put on clean clothes, get out there, try and look your best, right? right. And I was, I was saying to him, I just want to scream sometimes and say, take a look in my brain. If I could rip open my brain, right, and see what it's like, you'd understand. And he said, so why don't you start writing it? Why don't you tell them how you feel and put it in a blog? And so I ummed and ahed and then I thought, you know what? Yes, they need to understand. So I started writing the blog and immediately just the comments were, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was that bad. I had no idea depression was like this. Even doctors who'd say, oh my goodness, Trace, like, I didn't realize depression was so physical as well, like the joint pain and the heaviness. And, um, you know, I have a better understanding. And from the very first blog post, you know, the comments were, you need to put this in a book. You need to put this in a book. And about six months later, I seriously started thinking about it. And I thought, okay, so if you decided to write a book, what is your reason for writing it? Yes. And my reason was because I thought I don't want anyone else to ever go through what I'm going through and think, A, they're the only one, B, that they're abnormal and that they will never recover. Um, Because, as I said, I was a nurse and I still didn't understand that it was depression when it first happened because it was so very different. And I thought... I. I, I can't, I can't, it, it would be heartbreaking to think that there are people out there thinking they're the only one and yeah. they're, they're too ashamed or too scared to talk to someone or to get help. And then my second reason was, I thought, okay, so if someone reads it and their wife or husband or daughter is going through depression, maybe this will give them an understanding that they're not being difficult or lazy. Right right, that this is very real and this is what will help. And so that kind of motivated me. And then I happened upon um, a woman who uh, was an editor and had written her own books. And I said, you know, people keep telling me this is my story has to be, you know, go into a book. If I let you take a look at my blog posts, do you think it's book worthy? And she's like, yeah, okay, send everything to me. And like, couple of hours later she phoned me and said I have you an editor you need to write the book 
and here we are. Well, that's that's powerful and that's great. And you, you certainly articulated well other people's reactions. You know, when we, it's, it's so easy for when we're outside of someone to judge that person. Oh. And, and when, when we're going through what, we, what we're going through, and I have a traumatic brain injury and went through so many different therapists and therapies as in my recovery, and I heard the same thing, you look perfectly fine, what do you mean you can't do X or you know, that yes. sort of thing? And, and that other person has this, this view of you that is indestructible that you're indestructible. Yes. So they're not comfortable with, with what they see as your weakness. And yes. then, yeah, it just it's this giant ball of emotion that is so challenging to then deal with them and you're still dealing with you. And yeah, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. It is. And of course, I mean, you know, right, anything that's related to the brain, to, to mental health and illness, there's so much stigma still attached absolutely and and the mis and the old wives tales and the misinformation that some people still cling on to yeah. you know and it's that is what's frustrating given that we know that depression is a global problem i mean the numbers of not only children and teenagers but adults globally that have depression and the amount of money it costs not only the health industry, but the workplace for lost days. I mean, it's a serious yeah. problem. And even, you know, and they still really, you know, shh, shh, we, we won't go there. You know, put a smile on your face. You'll be fine. Turn that frown upside down, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can look at it from a strictly mercenary profitability standpoint. Oh, absolutely. It's a problem and you'll make more money as an organization. And but no, there there is. There's all of this stigma and people's discomfort in dealing with it and even having this conversation. And I know you'll believe this when I share it. I've actually because I'm I'm pretty upfront, I think, about certainly about my brain injury, certainly about my my childhood abuse of abuse my recovery i had a breakdown myself several years ago and and have had my own issues with depression i've had people tell me you know what you really need to stop talking about that yes yes first of all i don't think people want to hear it and no. and it's really it's really not it's not helping you no. you know this is the reality Every single person who will be listening to this podcast, if they have not experienced a mental illness, they know someone who has or is living with it right now. That's right. Every single person, whether or not yeah. it's a friend, a neighbor, the lady at the grocery store, or a direct family member, every single person is touched yeah. by mental illness. Yeah. And we've got to stop this oh let's not talk about it yeah. why what what what, what yeah. damage are we going to do by talking about it because if we talk about it we could actually save someone's life i agree and i've actually right. had more people tell me that they appreciate my talking about it that it has made them not feel so 
abnormal that yes. just knowing that someone else is experiencing or has experienced the same thing you know there's this all right I'm normal they got through it I'm gonna get through it whatever way I'm gonna deal with it so I do think that that we have to get comfortable talking about it. Yeah, and oh. it doesn't mean that I can't do my job. No, no, we must. And that's why, I mean, you know, when the book was ready to be released and people were, you know, are you scared? And I think there was like a, a brief period where I thought, oh my goodness, my entire life is <laughs> going to be out there for people to read, right? It's the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I felt in order to share my story, I had to be very, very transparent and very brutally honest of how bad it can get. But people then to understand, okay, she knows what she's talking about. She's been there. Right. And there was that moment of fear because I thought, oh my goodness, what if I go to the grocery store and people are pointing out, you know her, right? Don't go near her. That didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, you know what? You have to do this, Tracy, because you want this to help other people. You've got, you've got to do this. And as I said, um, yes, I've had some very nasty, hurtful, mean messages um that's that's the world in general right you have those people out there that are hurting way more than you and are unwilling to accept help or to even acknowledge that something is going on and so they prefer to put it back onto you know you and it's like that's yes yeah. the way it is right so let's talk about the, now the book is out. I know yeah. you're speaking. How has this shaped the the mission that you're on now and the work that you do? How are you using, because really you're using this as a great mechanism to impact the world, really. Well, thank you. Um, so, I mean, when the book was first released, um, you know, I thought, oh, okay, yes, I'll, I'll be going out there and, you know, I can talk about it and help um, others um, understand, you know, mental illness and depression and what they, you know, what they can do. And it was uh, about three weeks later when I was invited to actually go and talk to some kids, 15-year-old uh, teenagers at a local school, that my, my perspective changed. Um, I mean, we hear all the time, right, you know, another teenager has died by suicide and, you know, depression. It's, and they always, you know, um, mention it on social media or the news. And all of a sudden, I have all these kids in, the, in this class and they're asking me questions. And I thought, wow, they're really interested and they want to know more. And then I returned two weeks later for an all-day human library, which is kind of like that version of Korea Day. And it was an eight-hour day, and uh, all the kids, so it was like ages 11 to 15, had to sign up for 30-minute sessions sitting at everyone's table to talk about their career. And they asked me to return as a first-time author, how do I publish a book? And so I sat down at 8.30, and the first group come, and it's like eight, nine teenagers. And I start talking, and, you know, they're looking at one another, and I said, hmm. Did you sign, you know you signed up for my table, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, you seem confused. 
can I ask you, why, why did you come and sit at my table? And they said, we've heard about you. You're the lady that escaped the rabbit hole. We want you to tell us how. How did you do it? And so, and so began an endless, um, you know, rotation of teenagers every 30 minutes for eight hours coming to talk about what they were going through, bullying, mental illness, either if they had it or a friend or a family member. And then they were even more waiting at the end of each session to come and talk to me privately. Wow. And as I said, the two resonated the most. A 15-year-old girl who whispered in my ear, um, I just came home from hospital after my second suicide attempt um, and lifted her sleeves and showed me all the, the cutting she had done. And the second one was a 13-year-old boy towards the end of the day. Um, very, very quiet, didn't participate much in the talk, and I thought something's, yeah, something's not right here. And he came up after very embarrassed and stammering, asked me if, you know, he could talk to me. And I said, yes, well, how can I help you? And he literally fell into my shoulder, sobbing his heart out. He was he's 13 years old, and he said, I've been in the rabbit hole for seven, seven years. When will I get out? And so I spent 20 minutes talking with him. And at the end of the day, the school counselor came to me and reprimanded me. I was actually bullied by the school counselor. And she said, you were here to give a talk. You weren't here to sit and talk with the kids and counsel them. Yeah. And I said, he was in pain. He needed to talk. I listened and I helped him. And she, and she looked at me and she goes, He's got so many problems, he's never going to get better. And at that point, that was it. Yeah. I thought, are you kidding me? I said a few choice words to her, which I won't repeat. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah. I drove home and I was crying and crying. And I thought, like, I had 63 teenagers come to me that day and tell me what they were going through. 63. And I thought, oh, it's just that school. And then I did research and thought, oh my goodness, we have a problem. Yeah. And it was then yeah. uh, a doctor friend said, have you thought, Trace, this is what you're really supposed to be doing now the book is released. You, you are going to be the voice for these kids. And it made sense. And I thought, you know what? Yes. Um, after what I went through and how I felt and I struggled, how are we expecting our kids to navigate this system and work it out for themselves, especially if their parents and teachers don't understand. And so that kind of began the mission. Okay. Or like, so I, I refer to myself on, I'm on a new life journey. Um, so yes, I've escaped the rabbit hole. I call myself, I'm on extended parole. Because the depression doesn't <laughs> go, right? You still have bad days, very bad days. Uh, and certain things can trigger. But I've learned to accept them. It's okay not to be okay, I call it. And just say, okay, you've been through this. You know you can get through it again. Yeah. Just, you know, just kind of chill per se. Um, and that kind of led me to the decision um, to sell my home. And I thought, you know what? 
I really, I really want to get this message out. It's very important to me. And so I sold my home and I donated, I gave away most of my possessions. And I thought, I'm just going to go and travel in you know the states and then i went to the uk and i'm going to go and talk about bullying suicide mental illness and children and teenagers and what we need to do because we're going to lose an entire generation if we're not careful i mean you know there's so much going on in these kids lives we're, we're expecting them to be adults and yet they no one has ever shown them how they're supposed to act like an adult and they're still essentially kids whose brains are not even fully developed until exactly. their 20s yeah. um, and so that is how it began and from there um, I then got uh, hired a marketing team which led to the YouTube videos and the blog you know the blog posts and just I mean I'm just trying to raise awareness end the stigma and correct any misinformation and get people to start, you know, understanding that, you know, we all have mental health. It's a, it's a good thing. We, I mean, we need our brains, right? Yep. And we need, and when something goes array, array uh, in our yep. brains, then we get help and we support each other and we work through it. Um, I say mental illness does not define us. It, it is a part of me, but I have five other lines I would say first, and then I would say I have depression. Mm. And I think people need to stop, as you said, basing everything on, oh, you know her, that's Winnie with a traumatic brain injury. No, it's not. It's Winnie who has you know a wonderful spirit and a beautiful smile and is helping people and has podcasts and I, she has four cats two of which band up against each other and oh by the way did you hear yeah a couple of years ago she she had a nervous breakdown and a traumatic brain injury but you know look at how look what she, wonderful thing she's doing that's how it should be not that, you, know, you know that's winning yeah with the train right and, and it's it's we have to change how we word things because at our core there's so much more yeah 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 exactly that's fantastic so your your mission now is to get this message out do you do you you speak do you what else yes. is what's next for you I guess is the is the root of the question how else are you going to be working with people what do you see as where this is going to go for you well I hope ultimately it will result in more like workshops and speaking engagements okay. where you can you know engage with um, the kids on a level that they understand because as you know I mean kids um, trust is a huge issue and lots of them don't like talking to therapists or other people if they have not walked a mile in their shoes right right you have to know what they're going through and so I certainly have developed a, a, you know a trust bond with kids because quote I'm the lady from the rabbit hole um, but yes, so I mean, my philosophy or my my mantra is engage, educate, empower. Right. So we have to engage the kids 
in order to educate them. And educating and supporting them will lead to empowering them to move on in life stronger and more confident, knowing that, okay, I have bipolar disorder, or I have anxiety disorder. It's not going to take over my life. I can still be the high school jock. I can still go to university. I can still get a job, get married, have five dogs, whatever, right? Um, because kids don't have hope anymore. I, I, they, they see no future. They don't have hope or optimism. And so that's what I'm hoping to kind of instill in them. Um, I'm actually in the final stages of completing um, my own online uh, course, which is solely about um, mental illness in children and teenagers, and it's to help them, but also it's strategies and information to help healthcare professionals, parents, family members, anyone get a better understanding of what they're going through and what you can do to help them. So that's next on the agenda. And then I'm three weeks time. So I came home from the UK on Saturday. Um, I'm here for three weeks and then I'm back down to the States and then up to Toronto. And again, it's media, right? So it's TV and book signings and radio. And every week is my YouTube video and my um, accompanying blog post. And I, it's just, it's just, you know, the repetition of you keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. And along the way, you hope that there's someone listening and you've made that difference that day to help them. Right. And, you know, I'm hoping that each speaking engagement gets bigger. It attracts more people because then that yeah. means that people want to know that it is something important and they want to start helping each other and their children and ultimately that's what I would like to see it's um as I said it's I, I would say when I first started I was I considered myself on the bottom rung of the ladder I've now I'm now on the middle rung um you know to get to the top rung is going to take a little bit more work and it's, but it's just being out there all the time, right? It's that presence of yes. Men, mental illness and even bullying is 365 days a year. It does not take a holiday. Mm -mm. It happens all the time. And so we need to talk about it all the time. It's great that we have Suicide Prevention Awareness Week. And it's great that we have November is uh, Stop Bullying Month. But when that month passes, we need to continue to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of, yeah, I call myself, um, I have a big mouth, I, I talk, so I'll say what the kids won't say. <laughs> That's outstanding. Tracy, we could go on for hours about this, days, weeks even. This is such a gigantic topic. It's been so it is. Chatting, chatting with you. Thank Where you. can people go to learn more and and is it that to to book you to speak where where can they go to to find out more about you so the easiest thing is to actually go to my website www.tracymaxfield.com because then it has all the links to my social media email um and even if they just google me all my youtube videos come up yeah. there's all there's so many links um and so yes and 
if they can't remember my name, just put rabbit hole. I come up then. <laughs> <laughs> There's your keyword <laughs> phrase right there. And of rabbit. course, we'll have all those links on uh, the site for with the show notes so you can uh, reach out to Tracy right Perfect. through the, the, the uh, show notes as well. Thank you so much oh. for sharing so much. Yep. Thank you so much. Oh, Thank you. Welcome. You're welcome. A pleasure. I hope you found that as powerful to listen to as it was to experience with Tracy. If you found this useful, please share this episode with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. You can become a fan of the show and access back episodes and resources by going to couragepodcastfan.com and subscribing to The Vault. It's free, of course, and includes back episodes from every season, along with bonus content and resources all in one place. You'll get an email when a new episode is added, and you'll also receive information, tips, and strategies to help you achieve your biggest business goals. All right, so your cocktail exercise, otherwise known as a reflection exercise, no alcohol needs to be involved, don't overindulge, and don't drink and drive. Your reflection exercise is to really think about your own experiences with bullying, with harassment, and abusive people in the workplace. Think back to the peers you worked with and the bosses you worked for. What did they do to you, and how could those experiences be impacting you today? What story did you tell yourself then, and what story do you tell yourself now that could be tied to those awful experiences, and how could that unresolved trauma still be impacting you and holding you back? And your action step. Identify where you want to go with your business and life. What big goals do you have? Next, look at where you are right now and think about what's keeping you from taking action to achieve your biggest goals. Do you resist getting your message out there? Are you afraid to have marketing conversations for fear of rejection? Do you spend all day focused on tasks that really don't move the needle forward on your business? If you believe the negative experiences of your past life are impacting you and holding you back in this new one you're creating, please get help. No amount of positive thinking and hard work is going to get you past the issue unless you face it, recognize it, and put it to rest. If you need help, you can reach out to your local mental health provider. You can also visit WinnieRecommends.com, which takes you to my resources page. There's sure to be someone there who can help you or direct you to help. If you found value in this episode, please share it with others. And remember, you can become a fan of the show and get access to The Vault, which has all the back episodes in both audio and video format, plus bonus material. You can find that at couragepodcastfan.com. In addition to the episodes, you'll get information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding, get your message out in a more powerful way, and achieve your business goals so you can profit from your expertise. And if you're an introverted solo professional, or someone with introverted leanings and you'd like to hang out with an online community of like-minded and like-personality professionals, then head over to winnieanderson.com slash join the group and join my Courageous Success community on Facebook. It's for introverted, mission-driven entrepreneurs, and it's where I share tips and strategies to help you achieve the success you dream of and deserve in alignment with your beliefs, values, and personality. Thanks for listening, and remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.